how long? Two years, four months, 18 days, 36 hours, 15 minutes. Any casualties? Casualties, ma'am. Has anyone died? No, ma'am. Everyone's fine. Well, then wake him up. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen. It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. This is episode number 246. And our movie this week is 2012's Prometheus. And here to talk with me about it, a dear friend of mine, it's Paul Jaisley. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing really good, Travis. Yes, we've known each other for quite a while, but we haven't spoken in a while. I'm glad... We have this opportunity to uh, talk about movies. This is really going to be fun. Yeah. So you are somebody I've wanted to get on for a little while. Uh, j- okay. for the, if, if for no other reason than we haven't spoken in a while and we have known each other for so <laughs> long. True. Um, yeah. And I knew you did some podcasting of your own. And I've always liked conversations mm-hmm. we've had about mu- music and movies because you, you have a different take on a lot of things. But then there are, there are things mm-hmm. that we cross over on. So it always makes for good time. Yeah. Um, and so we got talking, and when we started talking about what movie to do, um, you brought up Prometheus. So what I'm curious about is, you didn't see it, and you mentioned that you were kind of no. a casual Alien fan. Um, yeah. Is that yeah. kind of why you just sort of, you figured it was tied to the Alien universe, I'll get to it sometime, maybe? Yeah, and I think, you know, looking back, I remember when the film came out, and again, like, Alien is a franchise that, you know, I, I'm, again, a casual fan of. I love the first mm-hmm. two films, obviously, because they're they're great films, and, like, a great mm-hmm. example of how to make a sequel to a perfect movie, you know, without ruining yep. either one, you know? Um, and then, you know, the, the sequels after that are kind of diminishing returns, and then when Prometheus came out, I remember getting a lot of if not outright negative reviews of very mixed reviews and a lot of like mm-hmm. heavy criticism from people that I knew that were big alien fans. I'm like, well, if that's the case, probably doesn't need to be something I need to see since I'm not a big, not that invested in the franchise as a whole. And those sort of mixed reviews made me think like, yeah, maybe not worth my time. Uh, but you know, I recently went back and watched the original alien again. I was like, wait, this is such a great movie. I'm very curious to see what, the problems people had with Prometheus to kind of see it with my own eyes to see would mm-hmm. I have the same problems if I'm not as invested in the franchise. So that's the main reason I wanted to watch it with, with you. Sure. So uh, on first watch, what's your overall take on yeah. just the movie <laughs> itself? What's your take on it? Sure. Um, it looks lovely. I think it is undoubtedly a Ridley Scott film, which I think is the, the strongest thing going for it. It's clearly something that he is really invested in you know both Mm -hmm. personally and as as craft you know as a filmmaker and i really love some of the performances i think michael fassbender is great in it i think numi rapace is great in it um that said i kind of like by the end didn't really care (laughs) you know it's like i don't know if i was distracted or maybe wasn't sure what to expect but it wasn't until the last 20 minutes that i kind of like felt oh this is what i've wanted the film to be up until now you know what i mean if like it was a very slow Mm -hmm. pace and oddly paced. So I guess the the short version is I think it looks lovely. Some of the performances are great, but in the end, it kind of felt uh, weirdly pointless to me. Does that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
I, I can see where you're going with that. Now, here's a question. If <laughs> yeah, if yeah. you didn't know anything about it ahead of time, if you were just going into, hey, there's a sci-fi movie from Ridley Scott, and there's no mention that it's tied right. to Alien in any way, do you think that mm -hmm. changes the viewing of it? Or were you kind of looking for threads of the alien DNA within the movie while you were watching it? Yeah, I mean, the parts I... The parts that I found interesting were both the direct references to the Alien franchise. You know, when you see the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the navigator, you know, toward the end there when, like, they yep. in the ship and the navigator, mm -hmm. like, that, the dead navigator for you see the first Alien. It's like, oh, that's that again. So clearly it's a tie to that. Um, and also the sort of thematic ties I thought really interesting because, like, like I said, the end of the movie I thought was kind of, like, more satisfying than anything that led up to it because... I realize it's not really a, the alien franchise space specifically the first two alien movies are about like hubris you know and people trying mm -hmm. to control yeah humanity trying to control knowledge and up until then you have this film is really about that it's about artificial intelligence something that um really scott's very interested in you have this idea of like someone's trying to gain knowledge about human you know the origins of humanity and all this and at the very end you have nomi rapace's character basically say like, it's not knowledge for use it's knowledge purely as curiosity and that's why she kind of she's the only one that survives because she's curious and not just trying to control things so like that theme i think runs through the first two alien movies so that's what i thought was really interesting um mm -hmm. i get to answer the question like i don't i don't think i would have enjoyed it had it not been for those few direct references or the thematic re uh connection like that yeah which i do think if you, like when you had yeah. ridley scott oh go ahead go ahead mm -hmm. But well, like when you get like, Ridley Scott doing because as doing sci-fi, sorry, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that I think that's the strength of the film. But again, it's so Ridley Scott's not interested in doing a sci-fi movie. He's doing this introspective, you know, meditation on human knowledge and human nature mm -hmm. and this quest for knowledge and uh, this ongoing sort of philosophical question of like, what if you meet God but God wants to destroy humanity? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, kind of like. Yeah. A recurring theme in the film all that's really interesting i just don't think the story or the characters are engaging enough to keep me invested you know it's like the ideas are more interesting than the film itself at a point yeah yeah oh definitely no because i you mentioned like the first thing you said was the movie looks fantastic mm -hmm. and i think it also sounds yeah. fantastic and if there's one thing Ridley Scott can do in anything he makes, whether it's something like Matchstick Men, which is just like a character study, or mm -hmm. it's something like this or Gladiator or whatever, he can make a movie look yeah. fantastic. Like he's just got a great eye for things. He works for with sure. great cinematographers. Um, mm -hmm. I think I like this movie, but it has flaws. And those flaws for me come about in the script. I think that the sure. overall ideas, as you mentioned, are very interesting. I do like the idea mm -hmm. of, um, you know, sort of these questions of artificial intelligence, of meeting your maker, of sort of the nature of humanity. Where it falls apart a little bit for me is that the script, like the characters in this don't, not all of them feel very competent to me in certain parts. Whereas right. like one of the strengths yeah. of that first alien movie is all of them, regardless of kind of their characterizations, were good at what they did. And <laughs> here I feel like outside of Numi Rapace and David, um, 
Michael Fassbender, yeah. the only other character that's actually like the characters that are good at what they do are the three that go down with the ship, mm-hmm. <laughs> the captain and the two pilots. Like, <laughs> right, right. So, well, you know, it's, I was thinking, I was thinking about that, and that's one of the main criticisms I remember when the film came out. A lot of people were saying, like, "Oh, these characters are just making dumb decisions," you know, constantly throughout the film. Like, they don't really explain why they're doing this. It just feels like they're stumbling along, and like maybe it's a generous reading of it but i think maybe again scott is so interested in you know the the name prometheus you know he's he's hinting at it's like it's the hubris of wanting to get knowledge and being punished for it so it's like oh yeah yeah, these characters are incompetent because he's showing like yeah our human attempt to gain knowledge often stumbles upon itself and leads to bad results so it's like the Mm -hmm. actions of the characters could be his way of showing that but again when you're watching it, it just seems like oh they're just really dumb like why are they doing this stuff you know yeah and and it's and it's the things that that can drive you crazy are the things like the biologist who when they get to the planet initially is hmm. interested in going on the mission and then when they get there and they find the dead body he's like well okay i'm gonna leave with the other guy like now this you know what this is a little too weird for me they get stuck there <laughs> right. and then when he finds yeah. the alien snake he's all trying to cuddle up with it and it's like you're a biologist mm-hmm. you should maybe know like that thing's in a threatening mode you don't want to get closer to it at that point um <laughs> right right or uh yeah the, that's I, that's hard to uh hard to justify that one yeah that that one and the other one is when the they found the one body and they get back to the ship. They haven't found the other guy. And then they get his tracer, or his camera, or whatever, right outside the ship. And so the first mm-hmm. thing the guy says is open the door. And he opens the door and there's like a crumpled, folded up version of the guy, like his body there. <laughs> and right. he just walks over to yeah. it. Like there again is a thing where, where <laughs> we just not trained at all for like hostile environments, period. Because that one felt to me like... right. Ah, just like self-preservation alone <laughs> makes me feel like I wouldn't go near that thing, mm-hmm. uh, having no idea what it is, let alone walk right up to it and then just stare at it. Uh, so, you know, but yeah. again, yeah. That, that's got to yeah. kind of move. We got to move things forward and we got to get some sort of an action <laughs> sequence going on here. So we've got 17 <laughs> crew members on the ship. We got to thin those out. Yeah, I think that was something also I, I kind of realized as I was watching it is like, again, you mentioned the first alien is like, it's a smaller crew and each crew member kind of gets their moment to get some personality. And that doesn't happen because mm-hmm. it's a bigger crew. And like you said, yeah. like the only memorable characters are like sort of the main characters. I think Charlize Theron's, Theron's character is really interesting, but she doesn't really get a good moment until the very end. You know, right. I just Elba's character, the same thing. He gets a couple like interesting moments, but it's like the rest of the cast feel disposable and again maybe that's mm-hmm. a story choice they you know really scott sort of using that to uh underscore some of the movie's themes but as a viewer that's not the first thing you're thinking about when you're watching the film you know it's only yeah. a reflection that i sort of think about that um yeah and again i don't know like what how rigorous of a training or hiring process you have to go through to be hired by whalen uh, the whalen <laughs> corporation i mean maybe they just, they just hired the cheapest people they could find so yeah, I mean, that's entirely possible. I, they don't tell them what the mission is till they get there, <laughs> which is a weird way to do things. Like, yeah, you're going to go into cryosleep for two plus years, and then we're going to tell you what you're here for. So enjoy. Mm-hmm. Strap in. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> I always I always love when, mm-hmm. when movies do that because we got to have our exposition, right? Like, we've got to have that moment where the movie mm-hmm. tells us what's going on. Yeah. And so to do that, they have to tell it to the yeah. 
to the the crew of the ship as well. Um, but that's fine. Like the characters themselves, most of them were were in, at least somewhat interesting. It. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's his name? Um, the the American, not Tom Hardy. Why can I not think of his name? Logan Marshall Green. That's who. <laughs> Right. Yeah. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, um, <laughs> his character, I like, except for he just very quickly goes from, oh, this is the greatest thing ever to, well, we failed. And it's like, dude, you made one of the greatest right. discoveries and scientific things of like, of, of human history. And you're getting drunk because mm-hmm. you're upset that it wasn't exactly what you wanted it to be. Right. You know? Yeah. Again, I think, that that comes back again at the end of the film when you realize that you know Nomi Rapace's character like she basically says I'm here because I'm curious I don't like necessarily mm-hmm. need an answer I, the questioning is what's important and again maybe yeah. Ridley Scott's using that to show other larger themes of the film but again like when when in the film itself you kind of miss those moments because you're like yeah. wondering why those characters are doing this and again I think that's one of the big flaws of the film for me is like I really didn't when characters died i didn't really care you know i mean un- yeah. and again it's not maybe fair to compare it so much to the original alien but you know there is obviously a connection there so you know alien did such a good job of giving those characters those moments even the small crew members like um um harry dean Stanton's character you know and his friend yeah. like those characters that would be disposable in the film, they get to have these nice moments and develop some character as the film goes on. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I did like, you know, again, the connection where at the end you have like the three characters, like you said, who sacrifice himself. That feels like, again, a tie back to alien as well. It's like, Oh, we're going to self, we're going to have to destroy the ship. And like, it'd be nice to have those characters have more development. So that moment had more weight. And aside from I just I just Elba, I didn't really remember the other characters in the movie at all until that very last moment where it's like, you know, take us home or, you know, we're yeah. going to do this. Yeah. So, and then you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, Benedict Wong is in this movie. Like, and he That's has right. literally yeah. nothing to do. Like, uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I think part of that is um, I think the other thing for me in a because i think the overall story is very compelling i do think though that the stuff with um wayland himself at the end i mm-hmm. i feel like that could have been left out completely like he didn't have to come back into the movie as a character and i think that it actually mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. serve the movie better because it would give more time to charlie theron's character and idris elba's character and let them do mm-hmm. something uh instead of suddenly shifting the focus to him yeah, I I do. Well, I might criticize that because I do think there's an interesting moment there where there's a moment where uh, him, Waylon and Charlie's there and having a moment together and uh, she expresses some like you find out like, you know, he's her father and she expresses mm-hmm. some some affection toward him and he like pulls his hand back and doesn't want that affection. It's like I thought it was a comparison between that character and David you know, Michael Fassbender's Android character, where it's like the quest for knowledge is not even knowledge. Like Wayland just wants to live forever. He's like, I'm going to ask these aliens how I can just, you know, mm-hmm. not die of old age. That turns him into less of a human. He's colder than an Android at that point. 
And the same thing with his daughter. Like she comes off as very cold and unfeeling throughout the film. The one time she expresses any type of genuine emotion, it's rejected by her father. That's a really interesting story. Unfortunately, it happens right at the end of the movie when you, you know, that could have been a whole other story up until yeah. then would have given more weight. So I do think that's a great moment. I like that idea. But again, I think it was too little too late almost at that point. That's probably a better way to put it. You're, you you actually have a good because I think if Wayland was a character maybe throughout the whole thing, because we we get that one hint mm -hmm. that he's not dead. Right. Because there's the scene where David talks mm -hmm. to somebody very quietly and then he runs into um, Vickers yeah. and they they have their confrontation. But then that's it. Then it's sort of like, no, don't worry about that. And then it comes back, you know, 20, 30 minutes later or whatever. I think had Wayland been mm -hmm. more yeah. involved throughout the story, you could have developed that relationship uh, or lack of relationship between him and David and him and Vickers and have all of that play yeah. in more. So you're probably right there. It's like either do that or just cut him completely and don't have it like one or the other. But you're right. Bringing him in too late. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, we've got another plot we're going to try and squeeze in here. But <laughs> yeah. but now, you know, other characters get shortchanged because of that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that it's I, just a little too much. I, I, yeah. And I think it's also an issue, again, of the pacing because it happens so late in the film and so much of the film <laughs> is these like slow ponderous scenes and i understand like you know i scott even has said like it's very much based on 2001 you know space odyssey and like yeah. that film has very similar themes about artificial intelligence the nature of humanity the quest for knowledge they're very similar films unfortunately like you know ridley scott can't maybe do those long ponderous slow scenes the way that kubrick was able to do that because kubrick built a very unease sense of unease in those those scenes a lot of those scenes in this film just felt like eating time like there's not as much suspense as maybe scott was going for in those scenes i thought yeah and and i think some of that can come from the fact because he can do those types of shots i mean he does that in the first alien that first alien sure. is a very slow build before yeah. things start to take off but i think mm -hmm. i think he did himself a disservice by even mentioning alien leading up to the movie like because he tried to distance it as far as right. saying, like, look, this isn't a prequel to Alien, but, you know, it's in the same universe. There's threads of the alien DNA in here. <laughs> that immediately creates expectations yeah. in the audience. And I think that he... Yeah. I Like, having those connections there is awesome. I think it would have been better to have it be mm -hmm. something where nobody knew about that going into it. And I think that uh, it would have reviewed a little bit better in that case. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. because then you could have said like, oh, no, he did do this. Um, I, it, I mean, it's obviously that that cat's out of the bag. There's no way to put, put that back. So you have to go right. with what the movie yeah. is. And I do think that mm -hmm. on its own, you're kind of right in that the movie doesn't, it has the that slow mentality in parts, but then it also like gets us out into mm -hmm. space really quickly. And it doesn't waste a whole lot yeah. of time getting us onto the ship and getting us to the planet. So it, there's a little bit of pacing. Right, and I think that's, yeah. The other issue too is like the, the first alien does such a good job of creating a sense of uh, uh, like space. Like it's a movie that it's kind of grand in scope, but it also feels very claustrophobic. And I think mm -hmm. that was my issue with this film. Another issue I had was like, I was never quite sure where everything was taking place. Like I never got a good sense of, you know, the world, you know, they keep jumping back from the ship. 
to you know the the pyramid that they're exploring it's like they're jumping back and forth constantly and yeah. i never got that same sense of claustrophobia or just like impending doom that you got in that first alien you know so it's a very different experience in that regard oh very much so and that you know that was one of the the big hallmarks of that first alien film is a haunted house in space mm -hmm. and containing everything yeah. within that ship is is brilliant um <laughs> and you're right. I think part of it, too, is like we don't understand. We, we we don't get a good feel for the scope of how big that pyramid is and how big that ship is mm -hmm. until the right. very end. And by then, even even then, we don't fully kind of realize it in comparison to the size of the Prometheus, which is not a small ship. It's much I think it's bigger than the right. Nostromo was. And so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they did such a great job visually of capturing all of the stuff because like the set design and the sets they built and then building yeah. and they built a lot of very large sets so that they wouldn't have <laughs> to rely <laughs> on making everything within a computer. They could do a lot practically and then extend yeah. it, which is smart because I think it gives it yeah. a more grounded <laughs> feel. Um, and I loved all of that. Sure. Uh, but you're right <laughs> in that. You're, you're in the ship, then you're in the pyramid, then you're back in the ship. You're going from one to the other. <laughs> yeah. Of course, there's going to be a storm, <laughs> right? Like you can't have a movie landing on a desolate planet without there being a storm that forces <laughs> something right. to happen. Um, that was the other yeah. good one, by the way, was the, the two of them getting lost on their way back. Uh, and so then they're stuck in the pyramid <laughs> while everyone else got out. Um, I forgot completely yeah. about that happening when I started watching it again. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's why <laughs> sure. they're stuck in there. Because they just got lost, right? I guess. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but you know, it's uh, sometimes you got to have uh, because the writers said so is the reason for things happening in a movie. Um, yeah, which is yeah, which is fine. and uh, you know, I that's fine, and like I'm willing to roll with that stuff. You know, the film is telling a specific story, and again, I think Scott is less interested in making an alien sequel than he is exploring these larger themes. They, you know been hallmark mm -hmm. of his career for a while so like yeah. i understand all of that it's just um again that that and the idea that you would spend so much time exploring those without giving a satisfying sort of conclusion to them mm -hmm. i do like yeah. the way the film ends as i said but it's like it's like the questions being raised at the end don't need resolution but I think if the film as a story doesn't get the resolution, maybe it needs, right? Does that make sense? Right. No, it does. Because I, I have no problem, and I've said this a lot, especially in the last year on this show, um, that I love movies that will ask you questions and then not answer them. Like David Lynch <laughs> is prime example of that. David Lynch will, will make oh, yeah. you ask a question, yeah. and then he'll just be like, no, <laughs> I'm not answering that. Like, I don't care. You know, I, <laughs> right. I've, yeah. I've quoted this one a few times, but um, have you seen um, Mad God by Phil Tippett? Uh, no. No, not okay. yet. Okay. So it's, it's way, it, it's bizarre. And it took him, what, 20 something years okay. to make or sure. whatever it was. But he was on uh, The Last Drive In with Joe Bob Briggs. And Joe Bob asked him, yeah. has Phil Tippett on? And he says, Phil, what is Mad God about? And Phil Tippett looks at him, pauses for a second, and he says, it's about an hour and 45 minutes. Perfect. And that was the yeah. best answer you could give. Like, cause the movie <laughs> yeah. is mm -hmm. bizarre beyond belief. And so I have no problem with that. I think what happened here was yeah. the questions that 
did need an answer to help the story didn't get answered and other ones got answered mm-hmm. that we don't really it, it, okay that's fine but like <laughs> like for instance the engineers okay i i think mm-hmm. the idea of the engineers yeah. is really interesting and mm-hmm. i like the the opening shot of the movie first of all the opening vistas that they did where they went and they shot all this amazing outdoor stuff in iceland and then they added in yeah. like more mountains and thing that was breathtaking mm-hmm. Uh, and I Incredible. really wish I'd been yeah. able to go see this in a in a theater when it came out because I didn't. <laughs> right. I saw yeah. it uh, shortly after it hit, you know, home video and all that. Okay. But you get that opening with the engineer and like the idea of the engineer and it's a human, but it's sort of almost like a peak of the human physique in a way. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the whole thought process of like, as the movie unfolds of the engineers create, you know, they engineered us, they created humans. Why? And that's what Numi Rapace wants mm-hmm. to find out and, and all of this. Right. And I'm even okay with the idea of, cause I love the line between um, Halloway and David, where David asks him, you know, what would you, or why did, why do you think you're the, I was made? And he's like, well, we made you because we could. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole idea of how disappointing right. would that be for you to meet your maker and have them say that? Like, because yeah, it's a perfectly yeah. plausible explanation, right? They're just like, we were bored and made some life <laughs> sure. and there you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the way that that unfolded, I didn't love because it just felt, mm-hmm. it felt weird to me the way they, they meet the one engineer and he just immediately goes like Hulk mode and starts just killing everybody. S- yeah felt well felt like the the thing is what it felt like i'll just say is it felt like mm-hmm. creating an antagonist for the end of the movie because we didn't have one yet right the one thing i did think was interesting it was right before that moment um you know david is talking to the engineer but we don't know what he mm-hmm. says yes and there's always that thing again it ties back to the first alien where ash the the android character has ulterior motives that are not revealed until the end. Is that the case? Because this is, again, we see David intentionally poisoning Holloway, you know, yep. and he's acting as an agent to do these things. And we're never quite sure why, which again, that's a question that maybe needed mm-hmm. to be answered. Um, Cause it, is it just an evil corporation? The, the go-to like, you know, bad guy for any, sci-fi or like action film it's just evil wayland's evil, evil corporation i don't know if right. that's a satisfying answer to that but i do think that's one way to maybe explain the engineer's behavior at that point whatever david said to him seemed to trigger that response because as soon as he finishes saying it he rips david's head off that's the first thing he does yeah right yeah now there was i guess originally <laughs> in the script um they have the translated line of whatever he it is that he says and they were going to have that subtitled oh okay and there is an extended scene. Gotcha. I think they, when they released the Blu-ray for this, they had some extended scenes. And one of them was that scene was a little bit longer. And the engineer actually responded. Interesting. Uh, before doing what he did. Mm, okay. And then Ridley Scott decided it would be yeah. better to cut, to just not do the, um, the subtitles at all. And I like that <laughs> because we don't necessarily need to know yeah. what he's saying. Um, but I think because, <laughs> again, we had so little kind of um we knew david was up to something but like you said we don't really know why we don't know yeah. is it that Wayland told him to do this or did is he going out on his own because david is an android mm-hmm. 
So as an audience, we're kind of predisposed to like, well, Androids will only do what they're told to do, like how they're programmed. Right. But David feels like <laughs> he's going beyond that because there's that moment with, um, with Shaw, with Numi Rapace, where um, she says something about parents and he's like, well, don't we all want our parents dead? <laughs> and of course she, you know, her response is, no, I don't. Right. But he does <laughs> no, because right. he resents Wayland at this point. I feel like, like I have this feeling like he's, yeah, mm -hmm. he is feeling those. I mean, the way he acts around Halloway and uh, like even because Halloway treats him terribly. Like he just doesn't. And, and you of get the yeah. sense that like yeah. he picked Halloway to, to do that too, because of the way the guy talked to him. Um, but <laughs> yeah, there, like there's that. So I, I get this feeling like David was doing a lot of this on his own. Um, and Waylon just wanted mm -hmm. to live mm -hmm. forever. And so that was the, the foot in the right. door. But, um, that idea where it, he was told do whatever it takes. And so that's where I feel yes. like David then kind of yeah. took that and ran with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it is again, the connection to 2001 is obvious. Like the hell, mm -hmm. you know, the hell 9,000 kind of, you know, gained sentience in a way that, you know, it, what I think that is different though, how becomes evil where David, I don't think necessarily becomes evil. It's just like he is by the end, he becomes curious in a way that the other humans aside from Nomi Rapace, the character Shaw, they're not curious at all. So David no. kind of learns that behavior in a way as the film goes on. Unfortunately, his curiosity leads to him like again, killing Holloway and maybe causing that reaction from the engineer, you know? Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. I think again, all that stuff is really interesting, but I, didn't think about that during the film. Like during that scene in the film, I'm just like, all right, we're wrapping things up. You know, it's only on going back that I've made those connections. And like, maybe that's a strength of the film because I'm still thinking about it and trying yeah. to make it make sense. Or is that a favor of the film for not doing that in the moment? I don't know. I, I go, I keep going back and forth, like how much I actually enjoyed the film because I'm enjoying thinking about it and talking about it more than I actually enjoyed watching it. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe I, that's, that's the short review. So, yeah, which kind of fits in with the whole, like for me, I don't typically give movie scores because I, I just feel like reducing the experience right. of the movie down into a, a number or a single grade like that is mm -hmm. not really what I want to do with movies. But were I to score this, it yeah. feels like it would fit in that like three out of five range. Like it's good, but is it great? Yeah. I don't know. Like. Mm -hmm. I certainly will watch it again <laughs> at some point if somebody wants to, but I also, and I think about yeah. it, but mm -hmm. it's not like, uh, it's not that type of thing where I'm like running out to tell people they need to watch it type of deal either. Um, right. Yeah. But it's interesting because you, like yeah. Hal, I feel like in 2001, Hal is less evil and more just like cold mm -hmm. and unemotional. And so he doesn't think about life. Right. Yeah. He just thinks about whatever is most efficient. Mm -hmm. David, to me, does that right. to, an, to an extent. He, he definitely goes with the most efficient, but there's also something in him mm -hmm. that does feel like it wants to, it, he wants to rise above what he, what, what Waylon thinks of himself. Like David wants to kind of prove that, right. no, I can be as human or better uh, because he is, I mean, if you really think about it, David is a superior species to humans in most ways. He's stronger, he's faster, he, he can memorize yeah. and, and recall a whole bunch of stuff. So um, there's all mm -hmm. of that, but he doesn't have the soul. 
And yeah. so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I mean, again, the, the HAL 9000, again, it's not so much evil, but yeah, the cold, uncaring, it lacks the human, you know, There's soul no or a sense of sympathy or compassion. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I think... I think David at a, at a certain point is hints that he might have learned that, you know, that whole conversation him and Shaw have at the, at the end about it's like, how can you still have faith knowing that you were just created by an alien race? And she's like, well, it's not so much faith. It's curiosity. Like I, you know, I still want to know, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm driven by that. You know, I'm not disappointed in the knowledge. I just want to understand why we were created. doesn't matter who did it, but why I need that answer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the why, not the how. And I think the rest of the characters are more focused on the how versus the why, which is a really interesting conversation. But again, it happens in the last like five minutes of the film. Yeah. You know, which I think was why I enjoyed the ending so much. But I was like, boy, I wish that had been a running theme or more explicit throughout the rest of the movie that would have made it more engaging to me. So mm -hmm. more, more explicit, I think, is the thing to do because they hint at that quite a bit here and there, but it's so subtle and it's not yeah. fleshed out until that third act. Um, and like yeah. the idea of, you know, Shaw being a scientist, being somebody who studies these things, but also somebody who has a deep faith and a, and a belief. I mean, that whole, that yeah. whole line from, you know, uh, her dad in the dream of, well, it's what I choose to believe. And she follows that through is yeah. both like antithetical to the scientific method, but also kind of, very important to her as a character because it does inform her curiosity and it helps mm -hmm. to to give us that so like that's interesting but yeah. coupling that with her science background and with this idea of why not how whereas halloway was all about the how mm -hmm. and wanting to know the nuts and bolts and meet the maker meet the engineer yeah and mm -hmm. uh didn't get that yeah. and immediately thinks of it as a failure um and then I, mm -hmm. The other thing I love that these movies do, and I love a science fiction movie especially that does this, is to have people involved that don't care about the larger story in general and are just there to make a buck because that feels like a real world. <laughs> right. You know, that yeah. was mm -hmm. the one thing, like in the first Alien, you had Harry Dean Stanton and Yafet Kodo's characters were just, they were just the janitors. Yeah. They kept the mm -hmm. ship running and they just wanted to get paid. Mm -hmm. They didn't care about anything else. Um, yeah. And here you've got the geologist who's like, I don't, I don't care about you at all. I'm just here to make some money. Um, Sean Harris's character <laughs> who I yeah. love, I love Sean Harris. He's great in so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Actually. And Rafe Spall too, the biologist, he's a great actor. True. Yeah. Uh, given <laughs> almost nothing to do here, which is um, unfortunate, <laughs> nothing but <to> do. <laughs> right. <laughs> the funny thing is, uh, I had seen this, so I had seen Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and all that kind of stuff before I saw Prometheus, mm -hmm. but I didn't make the connection yeah. to Rafe Spall uh, being the same guy when I saw Prometheus the first time because his American accent's <laughs> okay. pretty good, Yeah, and yeah. he's wearing those big glasses, and you don't see, like, because he's in it so little, I'd never made the connection that it was the same guy that's one of the Andes from Hot Fuzz, one of my exactly. favorite movies ever. So, <laughs> yeah, knowing that's him, I'm like, man, that's true. Yeah, yeah. It, like huh. him and Idris Elba both do really good American accents. I yeah. think yeah, Elba's absolutely. going like, and I, again, like, I, yeah, yeah, it's, I liked his character a lot too, because, like, you know, he's very convincing as that sort of like, 
as soon as you find that scene where he's talking to um shaw and he's basically saying like this isn't you know their planet this is they're making weapons here you know that mm-hmm. that whole scene is like all right suddenly it's like less about you know it's it ex- that's a scene that i think expands this the uh the story the movie is trying to tell in a really interesting way it's like all right it's not so much about trying to meet your maker and get these answers it's the disappointment is like like you said earlier it's like the disappointment of knowing like it was just done just to do it and now they're developing these weapons to destroy what they created yeah shaw wants that answer i just was just like we just gotta get out of here i don't care like you know i'm not yeah. taking this stuff back home i don't want even want to like i'm just done with this you know that getting that answer of knowing that your creator is going to destroy you and it's that one response being okay well then i'm just gonna leave because like i don't want to be destroyed or the other right. the other response being why well, i have to ask them why you know so like that i really like that so i guess to tie it back like i think i just elba's character did a really good job of playing this person who goes from I just gotta get out of here. I'm just here to pilot the ship. I'm leaving to realizing, oh, I need to save humanity by blowing up this other ship. It was, was a yeah. nice character shift. Again, I just wish he'd been in the movie a bit more to make, give that more weight, you know? So that that was another uh, extended or deleted scene was there was a scene, I think with him and Vickers where you learn a little okay. bit more about his yeah. background. He was in the military and you just kind of, you learn mm-hmm. a little bit more so that that change makes sense because that scene where he comes back in and he starts telling Shaw, look, this is an installation. They're, they're making weapons of mass destruction here. And I'm yeah. thinking, didn't the last time we see you, you were just like hanging out with a blanket around your shoulders. Like it felt like we went from, from A to <laughs> right. F and we skipped a few steps in between. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think that that I, okay. So I kind of tend to beat this drum a little bit too much, but mm-hmm. I think this particular story in this kind of world that, cause really Scott's really good at world building too. Um, yeah. And there's a good bit of world building in this. I feel like this would have been better served with maybe another bit of story or a limited series where they could have fleshed out some of this stuff a little <laughs> bit more um, because it's, it is yeah. high concept and high concept sci-fi uh-huh. needs a little more room to breathe. And kind of just let things, let things shake out and give us more of these characters because then you care about them. So when they do die, it actually has an impact. Mm -hmm. Um, Even with a a small amount of characters, like seven, 17 characters, you could have, you could have given a little bit more to some of them because most of them don't even get a name. Like there's the scene with the guy, Jackson, who has the (laughs) flamethrower. And Mm -hmm. I don't think we ever see him again, do we? He might, he might've been killed by the zombie creature in the, Oh right, when it yeah. uh, when it attacks, but whatever. The it was just four faceless, <laughs> nameless people that bit it right there. Right. I, again, I think that's an issue of the pacing of the film. Is like it it needs to hit these big action set pieces, and it kind of sacrifices mm-hmm. story to do that. You know, um, and it, it that is interesting to me because like I think Ridley Scott is very interested in doing this sort of like ponderous philosophical film, and yet. Th- the story de- almost demands these action sequences. Maybe it didn't need those. Like, th- does it really need those scenes other than to yeah. thin the, the, you know, the herd a bit. So it is just Shaw at the end, 
but it's like mm-hmm. a lot of those action scenes i'm just like all right you know, now it's it's you know, i check my watch like you know it's time for another action scene like we're due yeah. you know it's like that <laughs> type of pacing always stands out to me in these kind of films and i i wonder if that's scott or it's because he wrote co-wrote the film with um damien lindelof right um, yeah i mean getting his name right yeah and yep. it's um i wonder if that's the thing too because again it's i think the reason alien works so well is because of ridley scott but it's also dan o'bannon's script which is something o'bannon had worked years on like that was a very yeah. important story for him and he put a lot of himself into that and i think that's what that combination makes that movie work so like how much of that the flaws in the film are scott versus you know a co-writer or you know the demands of a genre film so i don't know yeah i mean all that plays into it right because this is a good film Mm -hmm. but it could what would push it to being a great film like alien is that synergy between your director and your writer and also the passion project behind that of like o'bannon working on that for so many Mm -hmm. years and and going there that's what Mm -hmm. that's why i think when when ridley scott is at his best when he's doing something like blade runner for instance where he has this great concept Mm -hmm. and idea and he's granted it took him uh whatever it was 15 years to finally distill it down to where he wanted it to be because of the studios but like he got it there Mm -hmm. um and that's what makes that movie so fascinating still almost 40 40 something years later and then Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Denis Villeneuve taking it and and just being like, hold my beer. We'll go somewhere even crazier. Uh, <laughs> right. Cause I love like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blade Runner is great. Blade Runner 2049, like elevated it mm-hmm. somehow, which I didn't think was possible. Um, okay. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And like yeah. Ridley Scott it, can do these amazing things. And I do think that he is uh, on his way there here, but I do think there was some, something got hamstrung somewhere where just the execution of, mm-hmm of this the script itself just didn't quite have the polish that it needed and i i think some of it too i think some of the enjoyment of this movie can come down to do you like damon lindelof's writing because yeah uh, yeah that's going to be a big you know it's going to play a big part into it (laughs) yeah that's that's a really good point i think um the fact that I did like so many of the ideas in this movie, but yet ultimately kind of like didn't care. That comes down to the script. I think that just comes down to, you know, as we've been saying, these, the the problems of like not really caring about the characters that much other than maybe like three of them. And then not quite knowing why, what their motivations were. You know, there's a lot of scenes, you know, like we said, whether it's intentional to show this sort of hubris or this, you know, um, arrogance of these human characters in the face of this larger unknowable thing that they're trying to understand or is it just poor writing or just like we got to get from point a to point b the quickest way to do is like you know to have this happen um yeah i don't know that i think that's that's kind of what makes the movie honestly really frustrating to me is like liking (laughs) it but not kind of like caring because I do want to go back very briefly because we talked about this a little bit ago and you mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. the look of the, the the movie and it actually is so satisfying to sit down and watch a big budget sci-fi movie that is real. You know, it doesn't, it's yeah. not all CGI. I think I, mm-hmm. I have to applaud that because like that is such a rare thing these days to see a film that is this large in scope that looks so great uh, and isn't relying on CGI. Like it gives the movie a very distinct look and feel even though I criticize it, not 
creating a good sense of space. Regardless, the set pieces do look amazing. You know, when they're in the sort of navigation room, you know, oh, yeah. and all that stuff, it, it's stunning to see that stuff and in, in, in knowing that it's real. And like, I don't want to downplay that because I think that's the stuff of the movie on top of the philosophical aspects I liked. I like the look of it so much because of the practical effects and all that. Yeah, the practical sets. And then what this movie did and to think that this movie came out in 2012, it's it's 11 years old now mm-hmm. and it still looks yeah. this good yeah. because it mm-hmm. looks real. It looks like you can reach out and touch all of this stuff. Like those shots at the beginning I mentioned where they're, they're real shots yeah. of, uh, I think they did it in Iceland is what they said. Um, mm-hmm. So there's shots of landscapes in Iceland that then they com- digitally composited in, you know, extra features in the background. But by doing it the way that they mm-hmm. did, it feels like a real place. By building the actual shit yeah. hangar at a full scale size, and then just extending it with CG outside uh, whenever they needed mm-hmm. to, but trying to do that as little as possible um, makes it feel real. Having the the uh, the little like dune buggy thing that they would drive and the big six wheel thing be like right. vehicles that were mm-hmm. they were there. Yeah, um, it just adds mm-hmm. to it so much. And then you can add, then you can uh, augment that with like the holographic display that they all stand around that right. just looks fantastic. Yeah. And again, looks like you could just reach out and like run your hand through it type of thing. So yeah, the the, the look of everything is just so good. (laughs) Yeah, I I just, I really got to appreciate that. You know, there's not a lot of movies that came out 10 years ago that still look good, you know, they're, Mm -hmm. you know, because of like the way technology moves, the way CGI is developed, it's just like, things look very dated. This did not look dated to me um, in that regard. Um, But I do want to, um, as we've been talking, I've been thinking about this. Yeah. Does the movie need the alien connection? And I, the more I'm thinking about it uh, during this conversation, I'm not sure it does. It feels like you're almost gilding the lily at that point because the whole idea mm-hmm. of like the xenomorph showing up at the very end, it's like, why? It was like, was the xenomorph created by the engineer to, you know, is that the weapon of mass destruction they created? Like that doesn't really add anything to the larger themes that the movie's exploring in my mind. It feels unnecessary. Yeah. Which is why, like I said earlier, like I, I just feel like had Ridley Scott not said that in an interview, because what he said was like the threads of mm-hmm. the DNA of alien. If he doesn't say that at all and just let this be its yeah. own story. And then, then you can hint because they did, they did make a sequel to this with alien covenant. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And David is in that. Um, but that was very much okay. kind of Ridley Scott being like, well, everyone said they wanted an alien movie. So fine, I'll make another alien movie. And he did that. Um, I haven't seen that <laughs> sure, one okay. yet uh, yeah. because I didn't hear great things about no, it. I mean, but yeah. um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I agree with that. I agree with you in that it doesn't need the tie-ins to Alien or you just don't mm-hmm. talk about them at all and let that be a thing that like oh well <laughs> obviously it would tie in it's ridley scott but but he doesn't need to do that leading into right. it um because the the questions of humanity <laughs> and the questions of like f- wanting to search for and again you gotta you have to suspend some disbelief and allow the hand waving of like we found five cave paintings and that's enough to let us know that these engineers like she <laughs> believes they want them to find them right, right. which is there's a big leap of faith yeah. there <laughs> but also that these five cave mm-hmm. paintings or, or tablets that they found are enough to get the Whalen company to spend a trillion dollars 
on this expedition. <laughs> right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we get told that Wayland thinks and made them believe whatever it is that he believed that, that, that these engineers could save him. But we only get told that we don't, mm -hmm. we're not given any evidence to like, what, how, how did they convince him to spend all this money? Or did they just say like, well, they made humans. Right. Because that, that line he gives is great where he says, you know, <laughs> you made me believe yeah. that if they created us, they can save us. And I'm just thinking like, you kind of taking a leap in logic here, sir. Like you've put the cart before the horse, yeah. which again, <laughs> hubris, right? That's, that's a running theme, the hubris right. and, and Wayland's hubris. So I get that, mm -hmm. but it's still a trillion dollars mm -hmm. this dude spent on on going here i, I, I could have used just a little bit more to like yeah. convince me that these these two because one of my favorite mm -hmm. lines in the movie is from sean harris when they're giving their presentation and he says wait so we're we're all the way out here on, a, on this planet because you two found a cave painting and like one of them's like <laughs> right. yes and the other one no <laughs> no <laughs> yeah that's that is really interesting that I think again it, it speaks to the almost like the tension between the themes of the film and the story itself the plot versus mm -hmm. the larger themes at work and it's like the idea of the engineer is like so fascinating and it's like the fact that they do meet these aliens and it's like but their motivations are almost entirely unknowable or they should be unknowable and it's like when the movie tries to give them an explanation it's almost it's defeating what makes it a compelling idea in the first place you know like mm -hmm. i like the idea of the us not being able to know what the engineers are actually doing so when people start you know just saying like oh they could save us or like oh all this stuff how do you know that you know that's right. the, that's the leap in logic there that's the leap mm -hmm. that's the thing that it'd be more interesting if the if the engineers were completely their motivations were completely unknowable i think and then yeah. it does hint at that. I think the movie does hint at that at, at points. Again, like we talked about earlier, like why the engineer goes nuts and starts destroying everybody and is dead set on going to Earth. It's like, you know, what is the motivation for him to go to Earth to destroy it? It's like, mm -hmm. does that need to be answered? Is maybe more satisfying if it's not. And I guess the movie doesn't quite give us that conclusion, right? Why it's headed to Earth, but. No, I, I think too, like we get glimpses of the engineers in those holographic like recordings where there's the the one in the hallways where mm -hmm. they're all running away from something. But yes, was yeah, that yeah. like, what was that? And why was there the mural like relief <laughs> of what looks like a xenomorph in that, that room with the giant head and all the right. canisters, but we don't have an actual xenomorph yet, I think. I don't know. And that's where... yeah. Some of that doesn't need to be answered, but then some of it should have, we mm -hmm. should get a little, little, give us just a little bit more, just, just a touch more uh, of yeah. whatever's going on there, like <laughs> for, for a motivation. So when the engineer does come out of his cryo sleep, we at least have some mm -hmm. reason to understand why his first reaction is kill everyone in the room, take off for earth, you know? Right. Give us something there. Even yeah, if you, think, you don't have to spell it out, but yeah. like as, as long as we just have an idea of, oh yeah, okay, makes sense. He why he would do this. That's where it gets confusing to me. Mm -hmm. It does get confusing. Yeah. Um, it <laughs> it is funny because I mean the film obviously 
there's that the famous idea of like ancient aliens or the chariot of the gods this idea that aliens come yep. somehow came down to engineer humanity like that's not a new idea that's been around for decades um it is almost funny though because it leads to that meme of like how do you explain any the pyramids anything it's i don't know aliens and then in this right. film why are the engineers running and you know why are they doing anything i don't know xenomorph it's like it's like the same answer it's why 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 are they heading to earth like why do they on this planet yeah. it's like i don't know aliens it's the same answer <laughs> you know as the film True. is kind of playing with in that regard yeah plus i mean you have to take the leap <laughs> so of yeah logic i, I do like, think this i was just gonna say you have to take the leap of i was logic gonna say that, like, like, David figured out the language too and he understood how to open that right. door and yeah. all this kind of stuff in mm -hmm. and yes he's very intelligent and yes he's able to glean a lot of information and and hold it but we're not given anything to give a baseline for where that came from right yeah is it explained is it like um since he's he's studying like he says he said the roots of like a european and you know uh hindu language so he knows like the roots of like basic the earliest forms of human language and communication he understands those mm -hmm. roots and since these aliens created humanity they must speak the same language again that is a kind of a big leap you know because at the beginning of the film yeah. it's not like it's implied that the engineers are helping shape humanity's path like the one engineer basically sacrifices himself mm -hmm. to create human dna that's what happens in the opening sequence yeah but it's not like they're being Earth's being visited by them again. That's what's being implied by the uh, star charts, or the the you know the things that they find. Um, I'm not sure. Again, yeah, I suppose. the movie should maybe answer these questions rather than us trying to speculate on them. Right. Yeah, and I think that's where that that's the thing that uh, that hurts it is that there are questions that it should answer that it's not. Like it's okay to ask questions that you don't intend to answer, but some of them do need an right. answer to give us to get us started yeah. we got to get rolling in that direction and you know mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. when it when it really comes down to it uh it's it's not like i said it's not a bad movie uh at all um but no. i think that it it felt it felt a little lacking like so much attention was put into the visuals and the sound because the mute i love mm -hmm. the sound the score yeah. for this the, especially that opening score. It's really good. Yeah. Because the that mm -hmm. music has this like positive, almost uplifting melody. And then occasionally it mixes in these, yeah. these moments of like, uh, you know, almost like a minor key something where it kind of brings you back and makes you think, wait, well, hold mm -hmm. on. Wait, wait a second. And I, so I love that. And the sound design was great, but there were just, and the the story, the mm -hmm. the overall themes, compelling and interesting. The, the actual script. For sure is where it, it just struggled a little bit. Um, it's sort of how mm -hmm. I feel about when I, when I see something like, like the prequel trilogy in star Wars, for instance, has some really, mm -hmm. really yeah. cool ideas, really great concepts, high level version of it. I think there's some good stuff. Um, but mm -hmm. some of the execution and script wise falls apart because I don't think George Lucas was a great screenwriter. He has no, a, he, no. he, he had good ideas, came up with great ideas, but as a screenwriter, uh -huh. and then I also think somewhat yeah. as a director, at least a director in terms of acting performances, I don't think he was great either. Um, mm -hmm. He's fine, but like not great. Mm -hmm. and, and, and that's what this felt like. This felt like, because the performances are really good. 
for what they what they had to work yeah, with and, and sure. kind of what they got. And Ridley Scott's mm-hmm. always been good at that, and he's always been good at the visuals. But I do that's that's just the thing it's yeah. missing is that script just has too many holes in it that keep it from being great. It's still very watchable, and it's obviously something you think yeah. about afterwards yeah. and you can talk about. Yeah. No. I. I. I again, as I was you know, think about what I want to say during this conversation and doing a little research on my own, like kind of like reading other reviews. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting ideas in here. It's just, I'm coming maybe now more to the conclusion that including the alien DNA as you know, Ridley Scott put it, that's what really hinders the film. Cause I think there's mm-hmm. more interesting stories than this is how Xenomorphs were created. Um, and also it's Absolutely. maybe unfortunate that I saw, I'm watching this, I'm watching this after having seen Arrival, which I think deals with a lot of very similar issues. You know, that's another high concept sci-fi film that yeah. handles those ideas a lot better because it doesn't have this other franchise, you know, looming in the background during it. It's like it's standalone film. So I think, you know, seeing this after that movie maybe hinders my experience of Prometheus a little bit. Cause I'm like, oh, you can also do a very similar story way better as, mm-hmm. uh, as Arrival shows. Yeah, or even um, I saw the creator uh, earlier this year, and that has oh, yeah. not mm-hmm. it has similar themes, but uh, it's still that same kind of high concept sci fi. Um, by the way, that's a movie that looks yeah like a hundred million dollar movie, okay. and it's like I think I wow. think the budget for that movie was like seventy million, um, which by today's standards is really? a very small budget wow. for that big a concept of a movie. It looks like two or three times yeah. that amount. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think, nice. I, I think you're right. I think being tied to that alien thing does hamstring this a little bit because now it, this story wants to be its own thing. And then, oh, you, you can find out later, you can make the, the connection yourself, but kind of yeah. planting that seed. Now you're beholden to that. Now you're stuck in that world <laughs> and you, yeah. you can only go so far you can only stray so far from that mm-hmm. before, you know, you have problems. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, speaking of the franchise as a whole, you know, I think that's kind of one of the issues is that alien is such a perfect movie as its own. It doesn't need a sequel and satisfying. There's really no reason for there to be another alien movie. Luckily, mm-hmm. James Cameron was smart enough to know is like, Oh, you can't just do another alien movie. You have to do an aliens movie. You know, I love the story, yeah. whether it's true or not when he's pitching the idea for the film to the producers and he writes alien on the, on the chalkboard or on the whiteboard and he adds yep. an S to make aliens oh, and yeah. then turns the S into a dollar sign. It's like, that's how you make money. Like that's, and that's why <laughs> that movie is so great. Cause it takes the basic alien DNA and turns it into this amazing action movie that only James Cameron could do. Yeah. And then after that, every other alien movie kind of like is diminishing returns because you can't quite capture those that experience again i mean ridley scott and james cameron are very different filmmakers but what they do well they're the the best at almost oh yeah 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 so those two movies work so well and that's why the other films never quite live up to that because they don't have that same sort of intensity and they're also beholden to this mythology that's been created by the other two Mm -hmm. yeah because i mean david fincher is a great filmmaker but he had the problem of it was one of his first films and so he had all that studio interference Mm -hmm. So he wanted to go in a very different direction and got kind of stuck yeah. and really forced into doing stuff that he didn't, didn't necessarily want. Um, but yeah, that, that is, 
like aliens is one of the greatest sequels of all time because it doesn't try to be the first movie or do really anything that the first movie did. It's going to expand all of it. And that's, right. that's how you do that. You create mm -hmm. something new within that, that sandbox within that playground of yeah. what happened <laughs> before. Um, and then Cameron, of course, did it himself with Terminator and Terminator 2. Like, those are two vastly different movies. Right. Um, because he understood yeah, yeah, you can't sure. just make Terminator again. It's not going to work. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're right. Like, that's, that's so, a yeah, the, the, on the, yeah. The other side of the spectrum is, like, if they ask you to do a sequel and you don't want to, you do the old John Carpenter and just make Escape from New York, <laughs> Escape from New York, and just rewrite it, Escape from L.A., and don't change anything about the movie. <laughs> right. Or, uh, what? <laughs> I mean, the way he wrote, like, writing Halloween 2. And basically writing right. it, we're like, like All right, one no, night. things are going yeah. to end, end. And I'm just going to pump out yeah, a script yeah. because I have to. Or even uh, <laughs> right. for, for all the mal um, maligning that it gets, Spider-Man 3 had a lot of that, right? Because Raimi didn't really want, Mm -hmm. Raimi wanted to tell a completely different story and the studio's like, but we want Venom. And he's like, well, I don't, I, I've got this yeah. great story. I'm going to write with Sandman and it's going to, no, but we want Venom. Fine. You want Venom. I'll give you Venom. <laughs> we'll put Venom on Topher Grace. Like, yeah, there's your Venom. Um, so, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> which I mean, it's nothing against Topher Grace. Topher Grace is fine. I have no problem with him. He just didn't feel like Eddie no. Brock to me. Um, no at all no. but and again uh, like, speaking of speaking of films that i think are good but are hamstring hamstrung by either pseudo decisions or the necessity to have that certain story aspects that spider-man 3 and this movie kind of feel like the same in that because i would love the idea of ridley scott doing like a high concept art piece where art film which is like i'm going to ask these like big questions about humanity and knowledge you know for the the name Prometheus is like right at the beginning of the movie. It's like, yes, this is what we're doing. We're stealing knowledge from the gods and we know what happened to Prometheus, but that's going to happen to us, right? We're not going to make that mistake again. Right. But literally the same yeah. thing happens. Like that, those big concept ideas, I would love to see the version of this film that didn't need the alien angle to it, you know? Cause yeah, it's like, I, I'm with you. There is a very compelling story here. And Ridley Scott is a good enough filmmaker to make that type of high concept, ponderous, sort of like philosophical film, you know, but it didn't make, didn't quite stick the landing here because of those, those things we've been talking about that held it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's still, it's something that's worth watching. I'm glad that you got a chance to, to watch it. Um, because, yeah. Yeah. you know, being, being, as you said, a casual fan of alien, like I love the first alien is one of my favorite movies. It's, it's in like that, that top sure. 10, 15 range for me. And I love aliens because yeah. again, doesn't try to be mm -hmm. the same movie three eh, it's fine i don't have a problem with alien three i don't <laughs> i actually yeah. don't hate uh alien resurrection um okay i see its flaws but mm -hmm. um it as a movie is, is fun i don't like the alien versus predator movies i don't really right. think we needed yeah. those um <laughs> definitely not so this fits i i really don't think of this in in terms of an alien film when it, when it really comes down to it, it just, mm -hmm. it isn't. Um, and it wasn't meant to be. Right. And, and I'm <laughs> with you. It, it didn't need that connection, uh, to be compelling and interesting. Right. So, um, but you know, it's Ridley Scott yeah, and I would the like stuff to... that he makes is always great. Yeah. I just love watching his movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that 
I do want to go back and sit down and rewatch it without the distraction of waiting for the xenomorph to show up. Because like I, I know the movie had been out long enough. I knew like the big parts of the movie. I knew all the criticism people had. So when I was watching the film, I was looking for those moments that I knew people had criticized or I knew mm-hmm. were coming. <clears throat> I think going back and rewatching it, you know, and I can just appreciate the craft um, and sort of like the larger, you know, philosophical issues without worrying about that. It might be a more satisfying rewatch. I think so, because I think every time we watch a movie, we're a little bit different every time we see it. Um, you know, my yeah, my famous one is Event Horizon. The first time I saw that, um, I don't remember if you went with us <laughs> yeah. for that or not. I know I, I went to so, that. No. With, um, it was it was Nate Butler, Dave Brumbaugh, Nate's parents. OK, which um, <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> but we weren't prepared for what the movie was. And so none of us liked it. And then I've watched right. it a couple years later mm-hmm. and I realized, no, I actually it's really good now I, I i love it as a yeah because i can take it for what it is um so i do think yeah. there's that there's like there's both taking a film for what it is instead of what we want it to be as well mm-hmm. as who we are when we see a film because one right. that i saw in the That's last year point. mulholland yeah i saw mulholland drive for the first time though in the past year phenomenal oh okay just yeah. Just, yeah. just knocked my mm-hmm. socks off I know, yeah, based on who I was, <laughs> if I had seen that in 0102, I wouldn't have appreciated it the way that I do now. And it wouldn't have had the For same sure. impact on me. Um, cause yeah. I just, just, that wasn't who I was then. I wasn't, I hadn't developed to appreciate something that David Lynch could make at that time in my right. life. I needed, yeah. you know, I needed some more seasoning for that. Um, so <laughs> I, I'd be, I'd be curious yeah. I'd be curious to hear what you think of this on another, on a rewatch, rewatch. kind of going into it that way. Yeah. And I think, you know, to kind of like, again, I I think my, my, my appreciation and score for this movie is slowly going up over the course of this conversation. Cause again, I'm thinking about it in a different way. And, you know, you mentioned David Lynch, one of my favorite filmmakers. I mean, I saw Mulholland Drive right when it came out. So like I I was Mm -hmm. already there for it, but every time I rewatch it, I appreciate different aspects of the film. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's what makes for a great film. Again, like the original Alien. Every time I watch Alien, I notice a little detail or notice a story thing or way that something's filmed. It rewards you rewatching it because you see it in a different light every time. That's yeah. I mean, the reason I've rewatched Twin Peaks so many times, because every time I watch it, it's a different experience. And, yep. you know, I don't know if this will hold up for Prometheus, but I'm willing to give it another shot because I do think there's enough there to uh, get me engaged again. So, again, that's a hallmark sure. of a good film. So. As we've been saying, this is a good film, yeah. Despite some like you know some hurdles or some hamstringing, so yeah. And it's a hallmark of a good filmmaker. I mean, we're talking about people like Ridley Scott, David Lynch. <laughs> you know, I mentioned uh, Edgar Wright and Hot Fuzz earlier. <laughs> right. That's a movie. Like every time I watch an <laughs> Edgar Wright movie, I find something else about it. I'm like, that's just incredibly clever. How did you? How did I not see that before? Type of thing. Like these are great filmmakers right. that are doing these yeah. things. Um, and. <laughs> I think that I also do do believe that Prometheus, this script in lesser hands, is not uh, as watchable or rewatchable as it is. It's it takes somebody yeah. like Ridley Scott to bring the concepts and then the the visuals to life in a way that makes it yeah. compelling. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it helps that you know it explores themes that have run through his other films. You know. Mm-hmm. it's not hard to see it wouldn't be a surprise to think again like 
another Lynch comparison. My pet theory is that all Dave Lynch movies kind of take place in the same world. Like I think, you know, the there are mm-hmm. things that happen in all of his movies that it's like, okay, the red room in Twin Peaks or the apartment building that um Henry lives in in Eraserhead, those are kind of the same place. You know, it's like in it's mm-hmm. the Mulholland Drive, there's a scene when they they go to the club and the woman sings the the Roy Robinson cover in Spanish. Like, okay, that's a place that they might have gone to in Blue Velvet. Like they're all kind of connected yep. thematically. So it makes you put those in the same world. It's not hard to think that Blade Runner and Prometheus are taking place kind of in the same universe, so to speak, whether separate franchises because Alien and Blade Runner, but the thematic ties between the films and the detail and craft that Ridley Scott's brings to those films, it's easy to see they're yeah. of the same DNA, so to speak, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can absolutely so I see think, that. I, and... I think that's, yeah. That's what makes yeah. it, again, a compelling film for me to want to revisit. Like I revisit Blade Runner and again, notice something different each time or alien this when I rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. Ridley Scott is one of those directors that just, if his name is attached to something, I'm, I'm instantly interested in it. I may not always yeah. like the film. Like it may not always work for me, but I'm always interested in what he's doing. And he's so varied in what he makes, yeah. right? Cause he can do sci-fi like this. And then, yeah. uh, just a, a couple months ago, uh, I showed somebody American gangster for the first time, like completely okay. yeah. different type of yeah. thing. But that again, that <laughs> has, so many good elements and so many Ridley Scott like elements where he creates the visuals and he's doing, you know, 1970s, sixties, <laughs> New York. And it has that feel yeah. of what New York was like back then. Where like you're watching the movie and like everything feels like it has a film of like grease over it, you know, because that's just what, yeah. what it was like. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> he's just so good at doing that. Yeah. So he's, he's one of those directors that, that I just feel like always does something interesting. He's very rarely does he yeah. does he do something where you're like, eh, I mean, you might not connect with it, but it's going sure. to be interesting. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that, if we're going to be making comparisons, I think another comparison I would like to make is, uh, you know, John Carpenter, because like I think they have weirdly similar careers in a lot of way, because John Carpenter is always he can do a lot of different types of films, but they're always kind of almost genre films. But they mm-hmm. never feel like stock, you know, like there is something unique to right. John Carpenter's approach to doing a horror film. You know, he perfected a slasher film with Halloween. He perfected like a horror sci-fi movie with The Thing. It's like everything he does, there are certain films of him that don't work for me, but it's like everything he does does have a distinct John Carpenter feel. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, and I those think- are films that, again, I like to rewatch to notice that. You know what it comes down to? Because Carpenter is one of my favorites, like period. And like his mm-hmm. Carpenter's yeah, run did. from Assault on Precinct 13 through like, <laughs> I would say up until Escape from LA. Cause I do, I mean, for what it is, I, I enjoy that movie. It's but fun. like that run yeah. Yeah. is, the, it's just great all the way through. And part of it is, mm-hmm. and Ridley Scott did this too. They don't try to recapture what they've done before. Like Carpenter, like you said, perfects right. the slasher yeah. formula. And then doesn't do that again. Mm-hmm. Wants to move on, do something new. Right. Does a completely different type of yeah. horror movie here. And Scott would do the same thing, right? He would do this great mm-hmm. sci-fi horror movie. And then he's like, well, I'm going to do sci-fi again, but now we're going to do some different type of sci-fi. And oh, I'm going to make Thelma yeah. and Louise like out of nowhere. <laughs> right. Or, yeah. So, so it yeah. feels like mm-hmm. it's just 
there, there's something to these artists that are always trying. It's sort of the David Bowie idea, right? Like Bowie never did the same thing right. album to album. And that's what right. made yeah. him so amazing was you were mm -hmm. getting something new all the time. Um, and that's right. good artists do that. Like even Lynch, Lynch does yeah. stuff that feels you saying that all of you feel like all of David Lynch's works kind of <laughs> exist in the same world. I'm with you on that a hundred percent because yeah. it's this weird yeah. stylized version of our world, but it's, it's his, <laughs> his creation, but he doesn't just make the same yeah. thing again and again, or, no. you know, even no. similar things. He's always going in a new direction. And he's always trying something new mm -hmm. because he's curious about that. And Ridley Scott yeah. is one of those types of filmmakers. Yeah. For sure. And I, again, and it's almost like at a certain point, filmmakers like that, that have a reputation or have a style and noticeable hallmarks on their films. The ones that don't quite work or almost stumble are almost more interesting. Cause one of my favorite Carpenter movies is, uh, Prince of Darkness, which is not like a great oh. Carpenter movie, but it feels like a passion project. Like it's, I love it. Cause mm -hmm. it's like only he could do this. And like, not all the, it's a, almost similar, again, similar to Prometheus. There's a lot of great ideas in that movie and they don't quite all fit together, but the mm -hmm. way Carpenter handles it, it gives the thing a almost co cohesive feel, even though the story is a mess, it just feels great. It's just an interesting movie to watch because again, yeah. it's, I think it's something he's passionate about, something he's very curious about. And it, mm -hmm. I think it's a nice parallel to this movie almost. Yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good point. And, and honestly, I'm with you in that talking about Prometheus more is making me appreciate more about it and sort of, I'm able to, <laughs> sure. I'm able to, uh, I still have like the, oh, well that doesn't make any sense. And, oh, that's kind of a dumb decision. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm curious enough about the rest of the movie that I sort of can give some of those things a little bit of a pass and acknowledge yeah. the flaw while also uh, appreciating the overall craftsmanship that goes into something like that. So. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Cause yeah. that, that again, as we've ever been saying, maybe to tie things up, it's, a, it's visually as a film, as a visual experience, the level of craft is what is so compelling about the film to me. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. If, for, if for no other reason, watch it on a nice big screen with a good sound system and because it's worth it, it's <laughs> yeah. worth it to watch the best, fidelity copy of this you can uh because and that's why i i really wish and this this was also shot in 3d which oh right i yeah what i like about it is you can i mean if if i didn't tell you that and you just watched the movie you'd have no idea there's nothing because there's no right. gimmicky 3d to it but like that scene with david right. when he's watching the holographic stuff and then that big star map that big giant globe like mm -hmm. i can imagine sitting in a theater with like 3d glasses watching that being something just kind of mind-blowing because <laughs> yeah for sure yeah that that had to have just looked really cool um but it looks yeah. so good in 2d in high def because right. they they yeah. went for the look of everything first rather than being gimmicky with the 3d so um <laughs> Yeah, I, it's I, funny I to think about that whole that whole period about ten years ago where everything was in three D for some reason. I always kind of forget mm -hmm. that that was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and things that didn't need it, like uh, like Thor: The Dark World right. or Harry Potter movies, like they don't need three right. D at all. Yeah. Uh, no. So yeah, <laughs> no. Look, it's it's a good movie. Just temper expect. Don't don't think of it like a movie in the Alien universe. Just think of it as some high concept sci fi, exactly. and I think you can have a pretty good time with it. Um, because yeah, sure. it does have the, the performances 
and the visuals just carry it. Like it, Michael Fassbender for sure. As David is just Great. unreal. How good he is. <laughs> um, yeah. and Numi Rapace as well. She's she's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and has that. Yeah, I was that really really surprised the, by her performance. Yeah the the whole scene in the medical pod where it's just her <laughs> acting in that just. Yeah. I mean, it's a great performance great. because she has to go so hard with all of that to really make <laughs> you feel what's going on. And she does. So, yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, at a certain point, I was like, I was thinking like, because knowing going in, knowing that it is tied to alien, I'm just like, oh, they're not going to ever. Are they just doing this to make the comparison to Ripley as the sort of like the one, you know, strong willed female character, but like they're completely different performances. Like they, they mm -hmm. those, it's not just like, we have to have a strong female lead because the alien movie, no, there's a very standalone performance. She's not trying to be Sigourney Weaver. You know, it's a very different approach. And I, I really appreciate yeah. they didn't just, let's just slot in another female character to be Ripley in this one. And right. it's a very different take on it. Mm -hmm. No, it, it feels like a, like a, it, it's the correct way to do it. It's the proper way to, to go about having yeah, that for sure. um, in there. Well, man, this is, this has been great. I, I've loved talking with you about this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, uh -huh. something we'll have to do again, for sure. Whether both Absolutely. on the podcast and at some point over some beers, just sitting down and, and talking because <laughs> that, that hasn't happened sure. in far too long. Um, yeah. Now you have, uh, you have some stuff, you have a show that you work on. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I am a contributor and co-host on the I Read Comic Books podcast. We've been doing that for, oh, wow, almost nine years now. Uh, new episodes nice. every Wednesday. We talk about, uh, obviously, comic books, but uh, it's not superhero themed. It's all types of comics. We have a rotating cast of people that come in every week uh, to talk about comics they love. It's just about celebrating the medium and the art form of comics that we all all enjoy. So I'm really happy. I'm really proud of that show. Our most recent episode that came out um, just last week uh, featured Ed Brubaker as one of my favorite comic book writers. And it almost was like coming full circle because when I started reading comics again about 10 years ago, his books were the, some of the, my favorites at that time. So like getting able to talk to him on my podcast was a nice sort of like, you know, bring all together. So you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. I read comic books. Um, we also have a Patreon where we have exclusive bonus audio. I host a show where we just talk about Batman comics, obviously. We also do a, a mm -hmm. I Read Comic Books movie club where we talk about comic book related films. I'd love to have you on that at some point. We'll have to schedule that. Uh, so Definitely. yeah, you can find that everywhere on social media at IRCB podcast and then patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. Excellent. Definitely check that out. And uh, I love that you do one on just Batman. That's very very perfect for you. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So this the show, one thing I like to talk about more than films. It's Batman. So, <laughs> uh, so this show I record <laughs> um, Sunday nights uh, and I, I stream it live at Twitch, twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. And then after the fact, it comes out on Wednesdays as a podcast, anywhere you get your podcast and on YouTube. Um, and you can find that by just searching for weight you haven't seen uh, or find me on any of the social medias as TV's Travis and uh, you'll find links to it from there. I've got a website, tvstravis.com, which has this show and other shows that I do, including uh, those were the days gore and uh, let's watch Highlander, which is in its probably final season. <laughs> um, okay. We're running out of Highlander <laughs> properties to, to talk about. Um, 
and I do have a Patreon as well. Uh, Patreon.com slash WYHS. You can subscribe um, and there is exclusive content coming, uh, some new content coming there as well uh, to the Patreon feed. So definitely check that out. But Paul, thank you so much for being here. This has been, it's taken too long to get you on the show, but it's taken too <laughs> long for us to just chat again as well. So. Absolutely, Travis. No, this is this is a real treat to talk to you. And uh, yes, I will take up on that offer. Next time we're in the same city together, we'll have a conversation over some beers. That sounds great. Sounds awesome. Well, next week uh, I have Nicole Davis on. She is coming on and we are going to talk about a classic movie that I have never seen before. And I don't believe she has either. Uh, we're going we're going back oh. a ways to 1946 and we're going to watch the best year <laughs> of our best years of our lives. Um, okay. I've never seen it. And uh, so far the, the classic Hollywood stuff that I've watched for this show have all been great. Uh, so I'm really curious to watch this one. Uh, so that's what's coming up next. Nice. And then um, I have some fun stuff coming up in the new year as well. So uh, stick around for that. But until next week, uh, Paul, thank you so much for being here. Um, and uh, we'll definitely do this again sometime. For sure. Awesome. And uh, just remember to enjoy your movies and let's be excellent to each other. Okay. So, Ben, wait, you haven't seen. Ship's good. Yeah, ship very good. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>